For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's um, Monday morning. Soon going to go off for my cardiac appointment, but let me see if I can do the Parsha now. Um, share a point with you which is being sponsored by Shmuley Luxembourg, actually, and family. Very nice of them. I guess in honor of my slow recovery. Uh, I think Morty, his son, is still in Israel in Yeshivas, I believe. Um, but in Yeshivas somewhere, anyway. I remember him fondly. And thanks to the Luxembourg family. And let's get down to business. We have Pasha B'Challah. And I would call your attention to one part, which is a tough nugget and very interesting from the scholarly point of view. In the beginning, when the Jewish people complain, so it says, O Pharaoh Hikriv, they saw Pharaoh's army advancing. Um, one second over here. Someone just volunteered to give me a ride to the hospital. Thank you very much. Um, so, the Jews are running away, as we all know the story. And they see Paro come with the chariots. And they freaked out. Which means they freaked out. They started screaming to God. Then say they prayed to God, they started screaming to God. But you can't complain to God necessarily. But you can always butcher to Moshe. He's standing there. Were there not enough graves in Egypt and take us out to die in the desert? Why did you take us out of Egypt? Which, by the way, is a classic example uh, among the classic examples of biblical rhetoric. And it is quoted as such in all the famous rhetoric books written by Jewish leaders and scholars down the centuries. Rhetoric is something they used to teach in school, but they don't anymore. It's how to use language properly and for effect. And you have over here a rhetorical question. Were there not enough graves in Egypt? They took us to die in desert. I mean, that, they don't mean that literally. Is that really a question? Was there not enough graves in Egypt that you took us to desert? It's a rhetorical to punch motion in the, in the face with words, right? This is a stupid idea to take us out of Egypt where there's not enough graves in Egypt. You know, I remember seeing this, um, Ramchal has a book, among others, on teaching people rhetoric, biblical rhetoric. And this is a classic example of that. Anyway, they go on to say, This is what we told you in Egypt. Leave us alone and let us, let us work for the Egyptians. Stop bothering us, you Moses and Aaron. Leave us alone and let us serve Egypt. Better be slaves in Egypt than die in the desert. It's a famous Pusik. The question is, what the heck are they talking about? When did they say in Egypt, when did they say those words? They did not. Or let me put it this way. You will not find that phrase in Pasha Shmos. 
on Vayera? Um, this is a very famous shot question. And um, it's like a hole in the rhetoric. Very interestingly, the Samaritans in their Bible, because there's something called the Samaritan Bible from the Kusim, which scholars, I remember, always considered more accurate than the Hebrew, but than our Bible for certain reasons. They stuck into the, the, the Samaritans, put in Pashas Vo'era, this Pusik. Uh, you know what I mean? They inserted that Pusik. In that way, it fits in better because then it's really, you know, recorded as them having said that. But in the real Chumash, it's not there. So what's the shot? This is an ancient question. Um, your Pashtonim guys, like the Ben Ezra and people like that, they say, it's not in the Chumash, but they must have said it. You know, in other words, not everything... You find this sometimes in the Chumash. That's how I'm calling this to your attention. Later on, they'll say, I told you this and this and this. You look back and it doesn't say that. So, okay, so it doesn't say it. N not everything is said in the Chumash. You know what I'm saying? In other words, in the narrative of Parsha Shmos and Bo'era and Bo, for whatever reason, it doesn't say those words. But since later on in Bashalk they referred to it, they must have said it. And you can't be picky like, like, where is it? Because the Chumash is not a verbatim recording of everything that happened, but it's small pieces of what happened. As I've said a hundred times in the podcast, when you read the Chumash, it's not a literal, not necessarily. It may be, but it may also not be a literal truth account of what happened. When Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, probably he said more than just let my people go. But that's what it boiled down to. And when Pharaoh said, no, I will not let them go, probably Pharaoh said more than that. But God, who's the author of the Chumash, said just, you know, cut the bowl and just say, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. That's all we need to know. Um, and as a matter of fact, if you look in the Medrash, like Medrash Rab and all that, you'll see they have a fuller account of the conversation. And the fact that it's not literally mentioned in the text of the Chumash it's not my little Murad because the Chumash is not meant to be a recording, a, a stenography report, literally of what everyone actually said. It's a very important point I just made. Because you tell somebody, oh, the Chumash is Emes Lamito. Not in the stenography sense, right? Not that this is literally what he said and this is what she said and he said and she said. This is what Hashem told Moshe to write down. That's why you and I are Mashev this. If Hashem said write it down, that's what gives it the Kalach whether it's historically exactly literally reflective of the actual events, is a separate matter, right? It's a separate matter. Now, a from me will say, well, I don't care. Is this what the Chumash said? That's good enough for me. Fine, I have no problem with that. I'm just simply making the point that when you read the Torah, it's not the same thing as like a journalistic report by a top journalist in which every little Nikuda was recorded. Therefore, the Ben Ezra and others like that say that when it says, we told you in Egypt, they said it back there. It's just, for whatever reason, it's not recorded. It's good enough that it's recorded now. That is how um, the Pashtanim, you know, deal with it. The Panech Raza, people like that. But, 
some feel uncomfortable with that. And so the Mechilta, which is an ancient Medrash, of course, pre-Talmudic, Satanic Medrash, so the Mechilta says that when it says, and Rashi quotes it, that's usually what Rashi does, he quotes the Mechilta in the Medrash, and he says, this goes back, this is a reference, even though it's not verbatim the same words, but this is a reference to the famous story when Moshe and Aaron showed up for the first time at Paro and let my people go. And as we all remember, Paro said, not only I won't let him go, but I'll cut the cut the straw and, and double the bricks. So I'll make their life a lot harder. Let the people work harder and then they won't have time for listening to false ideas. When that happened and the Jews are really screwed and the Shotrei B'nai Yisrael had to enforce these harsh new rules, which I'm sure killed some people from overwork and things like that. So they went and they complained they complained to Moshe. Do you remember this at the end of Parshas Shmos? It says that uh, they asked Pharaoh to have mercy on them and Pharaoh said no. And then the Shotrei B'nai Yisrael who is the Canaan? But it says, They ran into Moshe and Aaron, and they cussed him out. The elders said to Moshe and Aaron, Let God look at you and be your judge. You've destroyed a reputation with Pharaoh and his advisors, and you've given them a sword to kill us. Meaning, you've made things worse, not better, and darn you. Uh, which really stung Moshe to the quick, because Moshe was a tzaddik, and he suffered internally because he had caused the Jewish people to suffer, and therefore he screams at God, as we all know. Right? That's a famous incident. So here we are in Parshish, the Shalach, and the Mechilta and Rashi, who quotes the Mechilta, say that when the Jewish people, who are now freaked out because they see the Egyptian army approaching, and of course they didn't know at that point that the Red Sea would split, so they said, This is what we meant when we said May God punish you for making things worse for us. I, it's not verbatim, word for word. It's not even exactly the same idea. No. No, Zechanami, that's a good point. But that's what the Mechilta says. And at least it's a case where the Jewish people spoke, spoke critically to Moshe and Aaron. So it could work, at least the Mechilta and Rashi say it works, to explain what's going on over here. But other than that, it's a it's a tough sell because it doesn't use those words. Um, they're not identical. Uh, but having said that, you know, that's the classic Jewish way of interpreting that strange passage. We don't do like the Samaritans and play around with the with the text of the Chumash and insert stuff. So rather we say that even though the words are not the same, but they amount to the same thing. So just that uh, you should not be confused, I'm referring on the one hand to Shmos, 
14.12, and we're comparing it to Shmos uh, 5.21. So you look yourselves if you want to understand what I'm talking about. 14.12 versus 5.21. And that's how the classic way of explaining this. It's a little bit fair, but you know, that's how they do it. Um, the fact that it's a little bit fair, you know, leads inquiring minds to want to look at this a little bit closer. You, know, you can look around, but I didn't see anything, you know, uh, that really, you know, shook me up. Although the Kliyakar uh, asked this question and tries to deal with it. But uh, I don't know. Till I came across one thing, but I'm still too weak. I can't move my books around this farm the way I would like to. Not allowed to pick up anything heavy. But I will call your attention to what uh, to what led me to think, and I'll share with you my shot. But it's based on a Mizrahi. The Mizrahi, of course, Raim, Rebellion Mizrahi, is the famous commentator on Rashi. Correct. Rashi wrote a commentary in the Chumash, but that spawned a whole subculture of what they call super commentaries, which is Mepharshim on Rashi. And the uh, first and most famous, or at least among the first and the most famous, is the Re'em, Rebellion Mizrahi, from uh, Turkey, who is not Ashkenaz, who is not Sephardi, he's Romaniot. And he's very good, a little bit long, and he is bothered by this, as you should be. And he wants to make a case. If you look in the Mizrahi, I have a nice edition of the Mizrahi, by the way. It's not Manuka, but it's very good. And uh, he says, Enu rotsa lomar shabosa shoshamru yeira shem alechem yishpad amru kitobla amun midbar. That, you know, if you think about it, back in 521, when they were still slaves in Egypt, and Pharaoh had said, double the bricks and cut the straw, which was 10 months before they left Egypt. And no one had any idea that pretty soon they were going to leave Egypt. So nobody knew at that time, that, you know, better live in Egypt than die in the desert. They had no idea that they're going to die in the desert. Because you and I know that that for whatever reason, Hashem took them not straight to Israel, but he took them in a roundabout route, ultimately 40 years in the desert. Everybody knows that famous beginning of Parsha B'Shalf, this week's Parsha, where as a matter of, of um, travel, it wasn't that far from Egypt to Israel. You just walk right across the top of the Sinai Peninsula. Correct? How far it is, is it from Suez, which was the end of Mitzrayim, to, let's say, El Arish, which is Nachum Mitzrayim? I mean, not that far, right? Matter of fact, let me look up right now on the map. Hold on for one second. Okay, so check this out. From Port Said, which is Suez, the end of Egypt, to El Arish is 108 miles. And from Port Said to Gaza, which means you're already Mamish in Eretz Yisrael, Mamish in Eretz Yisrael, is 128 miles. It ain't that far. Correct? It's 100 and some miles. I mean, from Baltimore, 100 and 
it's less than to, to Lakewood, you know what I mean? It's, it's not that far. So, even in the wildest imagination of the slaves, if God is going to take them out of Egypt, as Moshe had come and, and proclaimed, they're going to go 110 miles away, and then they'll be in air control. Right? It'll be 100 <clears throat> miles, 120 miles, 130 miles. And then in the promised land. No one had the idea. One second. I keep getting interrupted over here. Um, for its purposes. But um, you understand what I'm saying. When the when the Jews were in Egypt and this guy Moses shows up and says, God's going to take you to the promised land, wasn't that far away. You know and I know that's not how it turned out. That Hashem, for his reasons, took him on a roundabout route. So, the Mizrahi is saying that it's not shot when they said in 521 that, you know, he's talking about in the desert. Uh, but rather, he says, and he quotes the Mechilta at great length, and here is the part that I wanted to share with you, which in my opinion is the answer to the question. Mechilta Amro, if you look in the Mechilta, and it's too heavy for me to pick up, so I'm only reading from this excerpt from the Mizrahi. He says, They're complaining to Moshe as follows. We were in plenty tsar, being slaves in Egypt. But, but, But then 80% died in the plague of darkness. Okay? That was worse than being a slave in Egypt. And if that wasn't bad enough, the rest of us dying in the desert would be worse because they won't even get buried. We'll be just left out for the buzzards. So, ah, in my opinion, this goes to the heart of the matter. What does it mean when they say, we said, leave us in Egypt, better die in Egypt than to uh, die in the, be slaves in Egypt than die in the desert. And the point to be made, which is a powerful point, goes as follows. The Jews felt that they had been sold a bill of goods. They thought they were going to leave the country. Think about what I'm about to say. This guy Moshe shows up. He does all the simonim, pakod, pakaditischem, and all the rest of it. Very good. And pretty soon you're going to leave Egypt. Very good. But it doesn't turn out the way that they imagined it. They imagined 100% of the Jews leave Egypt. Me, my father, my mother, my bubby, my zaidi, my uncles, my aunts, my cousins. And it'll be a clear run like Mary Poppins, you know. We'll leave Egypt. Within two or three days or four days, whatever, we'll be in Eretz Yisrael. It'll be magical. The guy will run away or something like that. And we'll take over Eretz Zavas Chalavadavash, which was promised to Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. This had been the ancestral promise. And this guy Moshe is supposed to deliver the goods. Instead, there are detours. When the Makas Choshech came, we're told, Four out of five Jews perished. So all of a sudden, what kind of a rescue mission is that? It's like Entebbe in reverse. Instead of one guy getting killed, 
Suppose I told you everybody got killed except for one guy, which could easily happen. Baruch Hashem, it didn't happen, but I'm just saying, which could easily happen in these rescue situations. Things can go bad, and the bad guys can kill a lot of the good guys. That is what happened, for example, if you're old enough to remember, 50 years ago, with the Olympics in Munich. They're supposed to rescue everybody. Well, they blew it. The Germans, whoever, and all the people got killed. So then it was an unsuccessful rescue mission. So looking back, we say like this, better you should never should have tried a rescue mission but claw. Maybe something else would have worked. So here you are in Egypt. The Jews left only one-fifth. Four-fifths, 80%, perished in the desert. And as a famous medrash, which I've spoken out many times in the past, I know I've done it in podcasts also, which is, Literally, it means that God did not lead the people in a certain direction. But the Medrash Rabbah says very powerfully, that Hashem could not provide them Nechama. Why? You're leaving Egypt. Until now you were a slave. Now you're a free man. Everything is great. It's Peach King. Like you celebrate in the Passover Haggadah. Wrong. I'm leaving, but my mother, my father, my cousins, everybody didn't leave. They all died in the, in, in the, in the plague of darkness. I mean, who are the 80%? Everybody had relatives that died in the Makas Choshech. If you go with the Pshat Hamushim. And the Manish Rabbah says it was like a king who's, uh, I'm going by memory here, whose son was captured by pirates and maybe killed or something like that. And later on he avenged the pirates, but he still mourned over the death of his son. I think that's how it goes. And uh, very similar to what we saw recently with the end of the Holocaust. This past week, the oldest member of my show passed away, 96 years old, Osho Buchwalter. He's like the last survivor from the concentration camps he was in. Buchenwald, and then the Lodge Ghetto, and so forth and so on. He went through Shiva Maduri Gehenim. And yes, the war was over, that's true. And yes, he survived in 1945. But only him. All of his family's relatives all, all perished. And, you know, he never got over that, which I completely understand. Because, you know, I survived, but how come all the rest of my family, who were good people, didn't survive? It's a, it's a well-known phenomenon, and, and, and it's a good taina. It's a good taina. So, lo nochem elhim lancha says um. So, the Kali Yisrael is leaving Egypt, and they're already in bad shape about Moshe, because what kind of a guy is this? He promises the moon, but he doesn't deliver. 80% perished. So, what kind of a Yeshua is that? You see? And now we're the last 20%. And now Paro Hikri, if Paro is chasing us, he's going to catch up with us. So how's it go now? What's the plan now? We're all going to perish in the desert. Or maybe 80% of us will be perish in the desert. You get it? In other words, of the 20% that we're ones who are leaving, who knows what percentage is going to get killed by Pyro now. They didn't know what you and I know, which was a pillar of fire would interpose itself, the Red Sea would split, the Jews would cross without losing a single person, Pharaoh would charge into the Red Sea, and the entire army of Egypt would be wiped out. I mean, how's anybody supposed to know that? You know, you can't, you got to admit, that was uh, like really something. 
So Moshe says, But they had no idea until after it happened what was coming. And so when they say, we're all going to die over here, they were going by experience. You promised us the moon, and you didn't deliver. Most of us killed in a plague of darkness, and for all we know, the rest of us, or the vast majority of us, are going to get killed in the desert because we're going the wrong direction. We're not going in the direction of Eretz Yisrael. So maybe Moshe and five, five other people will make it to Canaan. That doesn't do us any good. This is what they mean when they say, um, I think this is what the mindset of the people was. It makes total sense. It's very bitter, but I'll tell you again, if you were, you know, I mean, I hate to say this, but you have a family, and if, if only 20% of families survived, you wouldn't say that the rescuer is doing that great of a job. Right? And if the promised land is literally almost at your grasp, 100 miles away, 120 miles away, and you go in the wrong direction, you can't say that whoever's in charge of it sounds like they know what they're doing. You and I, in retrospect, living later, having read the whole Chumash, so, all right, we know the story. You understand? We get it. But if you put yourself in the mindset of people at that time, you can understand why they would have said, uh, so it gives a very good insight into the depressed uh, nature of the Klai's role when at that moment. Now, later on, things may be changed, whatever, you know, it's not so simple. But obviously, pre-Kriyas Yamsuf and post-Kriyas Yamsuf is a gigantic difference. That's the point that I wanted to get across. Once again, I'll close this now. I will thank the Luxembourg family for sponsoring this, and I wish everybody a good weekend. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.